Tonight, I'm going to entitle the message, The Man of God Who Was Destroyed by the Words of a Prophet. And if you would like to turn with me to 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13. And we'll start from verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way sent he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went which came from Judea. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon. And went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judea? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee unto thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judea saying, From thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and has eaten bread and drunk water in the place, of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him and his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it and the lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass and they came and told it to the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way he heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who is disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. Just bow for a quick word of prayer. Lord, I just pray this evening, Lord. Lord, that not one word from me would be spoken from this pulpit. But Lord, that your message, that your words would be spoken. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they find a lodging place in our hearts. 
Lord, it says your spirit will lead us into all truth. So Lord, I ask for the leading of the Holy Spirit as I speak unto your people. And Lord, it says where the word is preached that signs and wonders shall follow them. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, if there is any in bondage, if there is any sickly among us, I claim in the Lord Jesus Christ, we cast it off them in Jesus' name. And God's people will be set free by the word of God. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, freedom in this house for your people in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your promise, for it is truth and blessing unto us, Lord, to all that hear it. In the name of Jesus Christ. So just before I get into this message, as way of introduction, I just want to give you a bit of background onto what is happening here. By this time, the great King Solomon had died. And Israel had been divided into two nations. We had ten tribes to the north. And then you have the two tribes to the south. The north were called Israel and the south were then called Judea. And you find that Israel had the king Rehoboam over them at this time. Sorry, Jeroboam over them this time. And when you look at how it came about that Jeroboam was king, he was met by a prophet called Ahijah. And he had a new coat on. And Ahijah came up to him and he took the coat off him and he rent it into 12 pieces and he gave 10 pieces back to him and said, you will have or you will reign over the 10 tribes, but we'll keep two back. The Lord will keep two back for David's sake. And King Solomon found this out. And when he did, he sought to, uh, to kill Rehoboam. So Rehoboam left and went down into Egypt until... King Solomon died. Um, and then we have in the south there, the king that was reigning over them was Rehoboam. And he was Solomon's son. He was the actual heir. And when he took over, the people said to him, look, your father had made a burden onto us, so grievous that we cannot bear it no longer. Some people say it was taxation, but I'm not inclined to agree with that because King Solomon was one of the richest men that ever lived. I'm more inclined to, to believe that it was a building program that he had implemented and the people were just so sore, vexed under this building program that he had implemented. So Rehoboam went on to his father's counsellors and he asked, he said, what should I do? The people have asked me to lighten their burden and they said, well, you should. You should lighten their burden. And he went on to uh, the younger men, uh, his, his, his own friends, his advisors, and said, what do you think I should do? And they said, you should increase their burden. Stamp your authority that you are king. And that's what, exactly what he did. But when he did this, there was a rebellion arose. And that's when we have the split of the two kingdoms. So when Jeroboam when he was up in, in, in the north with the ten tribes of Israel, he was fearful that when, when the people were up there, they were having to come down back into the, other, the, the, uh, the southern part of the kingdom. They were having to come down into Judea to worship still at the temple. 
So he consulted with some advisors and said, you know, what do we do? Because if the people keep coming down here, they're going to rise in rebellion against me. And they'll probably end up turning back to uh, Rehoboam. So they come up with this plan of, of two golden calves uh, to give the people something to worship. One was set up in, in the south town of Bethel and the other one was in the northern town of Dan. And because of this idolatry in Israel at the time, the Lord sent a man of God to cry against the altar. And the scriptures that we uh, have read before us is the rise and fall of a man of God. And sometimes people are, they seem to be a bit harsh, especially the commentaries on this man of God. But there's one thing that we have to remember. This man of God went from his own country into an idolatrous nation with priests all around him to this new idol that they'd set up. And he stood before that altar and cried, Thus say the word of the Lord. I dare say this nation could do with a few preachers like that. And when he did do, he prophesied of a, a future king that was restore the very worship and the very true religion was our Lord Jesus Christ and God Elohim. You find as well that even in the Bible to call him a man of God in the first place, it was a privilege. A privilege to be called the man of God. We must remember people like King David and Moses were also given this title. And Rehoboam, even when he, he stood up and said, get that man, stop him. His arm was instantly shriveled up. And that man of God went over and sought the Lord for him. And it was restored back onto him. But as we see further on, that the decisions that he makes had dire consequences for him. After what was a mighty move of God and this man given a prophecy of the future king, he is met on the way back by what is an old prophet who asked him and invited him back to his house. Now immediately alarm bells should ring because this man is living in what is one of the most idolatrous nations there is. And being a man of God, he must have thought, why has the Lord sent me if you're a prophet? So this old prophet, he must have been quite happy, contented where he was. He mustn't have been too upset by what was going off because surely he would have been the one to deliver the message. But if we look, especially in verses 14 and 18, we get to the very heart of the matter of what happened to this man of God with this old prophet. In verse 14 it says, And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that came from Judea? And he said, I am. In verse 18, he said unto him, I am a prophet also. Thou art an angel, spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee unto thy house, that he may eat bread, drink water. But he lied unto him. You see, this old prophet deceived him. 
And who do you think was behind the deception? That old devil, the serpent himself. I think every man and woman realises when you're born again, you soon come up against an adversary. And if there's one thing I can tell you, he certainly picks his moments. Have you noticed when this man of God was stood at the altar, the Spirit of the Lord was on him. He was prophesying and he was saying, Thus saith the Lord, that deceiver was nowhere to be seen. He was nowhere to be seen. But you notice when he come and he had gone on his journey and no doubt he'd been traveling for a while and he just thought, you know what? I'm tired. I've had enough today. I just want to have a, a bit of rest. I'm thirsty. I'm weary. I'm hungry. Then all of a sudden, this old prophet comes and offers him a very tempting offer of something to eat and drink and rest. I think deep down maybe there was a prick on his conscience maybe that, well, there's something not quite right here, you know. I think the words of the Lord were stirring in him, but I think he must have reasoned within himself, well, it's his fault. He's the one who said it. He's the one who's maybe, if this isn't of the Lord, well then on his head be it. But there was one thing this man of God didn't take into consideration. The word of the Lord had come unto him and not the old prophet. And this is the one thing that we always have to remember. With the word of God comes responsibility. You see, he was the one responsible to know the word, to do the word. He was responsible to discern the word. I remember, for example, one preacher once said that he was in a meeting and he said the Spirit of the Lord was moving. And he says all of a sudden a a man stood up and, and gave a word and thus saith the Lord, he said, you'd go to Cuba and preach unto the people there. And the preacher just abruptly turned around to him and he said, well, that's funny because God never told me. And it's so true. We have to discern. Even when we look at what the old prophet said in the scripture, he said an angel had spoke unto him. There has been so many people led away through false doctrines saying that they've had visions and that angels have spoken unto them. The Mormons, for one, with Joseph Smith, said that an angel spoke unto him. Even the prophet Muhammad supposedly was in a cave and an angel appeared unto him. And that's how you got the Quran. But the Bible says in Galatians 1 and 8, Though an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Brother and sister, we have to stick with the word of God. 
Because if we veer off from the word, then we are quickly led into destruction. Brother and sister, we are finding out today, Great Britain is finding this out. America is finding this out. And one day, all the nations of the world will find this out. It's the word of God. It's the word incarnate that was Jesus Christ. His word is truth. In 2 Timothy 2 and 15 it says, Study to show thyself approved on the God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We see it in the body of Christ today and in many pulpits. And I think one word sums it up. is compromise. You see, many churches today are trying to fit in with the world rather than trying to fit in with the word. In John 6 and 63, it says that the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profit nothing. The words that I speak on you, they are spirit and they are life. You see, the main thrust of the account of a man of God in 1 Kings 13 is when you're doing the word, that's when the power of God is moving through you. But when we start to doubt it, when we start to twist it to our own ends, that's when you find ministries start to fall away. You see, the power of God starts to leave them. And people would often say to me, they say, why is it that the early church had so much power? Why is it even that the early Pentecostals walked in so much? And the best answer I can give them is in Mark 7 and 13. It says, Making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. You see, the traditions of men make the word of God of none effect. And you see, whenever we seem to try and say nowadays, well, you know what? Let's get back to the word. Oh, well, you know what? It's old-fashioned. It, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't fit in with, you know, modern society. You know what? They'll probably turn around and say, brother, you're old-fashioned. Get with the times. Well, you know what I say? We need to get back to the old-fashioned stuff. We need to preach the old-fashioned stuff. It's heaven, hell, on the cross. And we need to get back to it. This nation's crying out for it. Its youth is dying in the streets through drinking drugs. And they think through psychology and everything else that they're going to cure it. Well, let me tell you, brother, it's this word preached in the fire of the Holy Spirit that will bring this nation back, that will cure the ills of this land, and that will bring people to repentance. That's what the early church had. That's what the early Pentecostals had. Brother and sister, that's what we need. It says in the word that many shall be deceived in the last days. And there's plenty of deception going on, even in the body of Christ. 
It says in John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If you're in a church, and I've been hearing this a lot lately, I've heard plenty of people say, well, you know what? They preach the word, but, you know, they just, the things of the Spirit, you know, they just, they won't have that. You know, the Spirit and the moving of the Lord, they're just not into that. Or the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I understand in some places it's a taboo subject, but it's not here. I'm not one for denominations, but I am quite happy being a Pentecostal. I don't have a problem with it. What I don't understand is, if the gifts are not for today, why then does Paul go into so great detail about them? Why does he tell us so much about them? Because they are for us today. We are to move in them. And I say, if anybody preaches against it, I'm not going to say anything. But I dare say that I wouldn't be like to be in their shoes because I don't think you can pick and choose which parts of Jesus Christ you like and which parts you don't. The Spirit of God moves. It's called the Holy Spirit and He is holy. When I first started to, in all honesty, study this chapter about the man of God, I thought it seemed a little harsh what happened to him, to be honest. But in all honesty, whether we like it or not, I come to a realization that we are judged by this word. In 1 John 5 and 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God have made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave his son. I think it's a terrifying thought that if you are to reject this word, one day you could be standing in front of a holy God, having made him a liar. I think it's a sobering thought, but it's the truth. And I've heard many times Pastor Ken say, I'd rather he offend you into heaven than nurse you into hell. And that is the truth. Anyone who knows the Lord and knows his word, we have to be, as Paul says, like a good soldier. And my dad was a military man. My grandfather was a military man. My wife served in the Navy on the Ark Royal. And we were talking, in fact, and I remember her saying to me, the only thing we ever did on that ship was train, train, and train. And she said, you see, when the alerts went off, when the alarms and bells rang and everything else, instead of running around like headless chickens, 
you knew exactly where you were meant to be, at what time and what you were doing. Paul said to be a good soldier. Soldiers train and they train hard. They train because in that day they will be able to stand and fight with the enemy. In fact, the Royal Marines have a term saying train hard and fight easy. Brother and sister, whether we like it or not, we ought to be a good soldier. This is our training ground. The church is where we come and commune with our commander. When we know this, when it gets into us enough, then you see when that situation arises in your life, that you think, I can't carry on. I don't know what to do. Without thinking, you'll react to the word of God. That is what Paul was trying to get across to us. But it is vitally important for the church to grab hold of this. And you may say, well, why is it so important, brother? Well, one is, we have never been so close to the return of God as we are now. We see the signs in the times. We see the troubles in the nations. The Lord is preparing His church, His bride, to come back. But if you look in 1 Peter 4 and 17, it says, For the time is come, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. This word, we have to be as obedient as we can possibly be as human beings in flesh. We have to walk in it. We have to know it. It has to be in our hearts because he is coming again. It's one of the single most important things in our lives is this word. Now, don't get me wrong, brother, sister. I'm not one of these people that would be sat there completely out night and day just looking at the word. I understand that. But we need to commune with the word, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this needs to be a daily part of our lives. But I want you to notice one thing about this man of God. Even though he did great things, and then as I say, when he was coming out of the city, he got the old deceiver just when he was in his weakest of times. As many times I no doubt we've been there, we've been weak, and we've been wary, and then you get the old whisperer coming in. We've all been there. But I notice one thing. If you read on a bit more in that chapter, it says the old prophet took the body. The lion was still sat there and so was the donkey. And he took that body and he buried it in that city with himself. And when you get to Josiah taking over as king, 
the man of God prophesied about Josiah and him restoring the worship back to the Lord. And in 2 Kings 23, verses 14 to 18, it said, And he brake into pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Rehoboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he brake down and burned the high place and stamped, stamped it small to powder and burned the grove. And Josiah turned himself. He spied the sepulchres that were there in the mount and sent and took the bones out of the sepulchres and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What title is that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the sepulchre of the man of God, which came from Judea, and proclaimed these things as done against the altar of Bethel. And he said to him, Let him alone, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. You will know that the bones, the reason that they placed the bones in them sepulchres is because they had some idea in the Old Testament that there was a common resurrection, that the Lord was coming back and that they were to be with him. So Josiah, when he took the 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 um, idolatrous priest bones out. He put them on the altar and set them aflame. He divided, if you like, their portion into hell with the flaming fires. But when it came to the man of God's bones, he said, no, you're to leave them. God had mercy on this man, I believe, even though he was destroyed and even though he turned away and was deceived from the word. But let me tell you this. Everything I've said tonight, if there is one thing that I want you to remember and to leave with, when you start to walk with the Lord and you get serious with the Lord, the enemy will come. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. But I can tell you something else. He comes because he's terrified of what the people of God can accomplish. He is terrified of what happens when the people of God start to pray. He is terrified what happens when the people of God realize who is in them. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's terrified when the people of God realize that they can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens them. He's terrified of it. He owns the newsreels of this world. The enemy does. All these things on television now, you're starting to see. I mean, they're even trying to put out TV shows now where it shows you the devil in a good light. Well, let me tell you something. All this is nothing but a ruse. All this is to try and take your eyes apart the Lord Jesus Christ, the very word.
Because when your eyes are upon him, that old devil has no chance. When you're in this house and you're praising and the word of God is being preached, why you could grab that old devil by the tail and swing him round your head. That's what you feel like. But he never comes then. He comes when you're on your own. He comes when you feel tired. He comes when you say, I can't do it anymore. But you see that voice that says, quit, give up. You tell him to leave. And you say, when you hear that voice, it says, Christ, the hope of glory that is in you, then you say, I can do all things through he that strengthens me. Don't forget that, brother and sister, who you are in Christ. You're precious to him. You're the apple of his eye. He wants to move through you and move in this community and move in this nation. Because his word has said so about you. Every promise that is in this book is mighty. And it's about the children of God. Don't let that old deceiver tell you anything else. Because that's all he is. Don't let any preacher tell you anything else. Check the word. Don't believe what anybody says. Don't believe what I say. But check it by the word of God. As my old dad used to say, son, it may say tetley on the side of buses, but it doesn't mean to sell tea. And it's so true. Don't believe any preacher will check him by the word of God. That's the truth. Gary, if you would like to come up. God bless you all and thank you for listening.